So I kind of gave him all this and I said, you're never going to rent another place. No one's going to give you a reference. Life is just going to be a lot more difficult for you or you can walk away nice and easy, leave the house a mess, just pay me my $5,000. He threatened to, he's like, oh, I'm going to set the house on fire and then you won't have a house. And I said, I'm like, well, if you set the house on fire, no one will have a house. So I don't think he was thinking that through. I go to school, I get good marks, I go to university, I get the piece of paper, I get that government job and I'm like, okay, like I'm set, like this should be it. And I'm looking at other people I work with. I'm like, I don't want to be where they are in 20 years and they're griping, they're fighting, they're crying. I'm like, I hate this. So I'm like, there's gotta be something here. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody. Today we are here with Isaiah Henry with First Position Real Estate. He is the founder. Lots of fun stuff to get into. He is actually currently a 911 dispatcher. He used to be a police officer and he is a real estate investor, a private money lender, basically serial entrepreneur. Um, love to kick it off with a crazy story. And I'll leave this one open for you. You could go police, you could go dispatch, you could go real estate. Ooh, wow. Um, let's just, let's just get the craziest one. The craziest one. Well, you know, in an effort to make sure I don't get myself in any trouble on the legal end, uh, I think I might keep this one real estate, but you know, we can talk about all the crazy stories uh, there. So I want to, I'll take a story from like, I think this is like my second or third uh, property. So I find this property, um, it's one of my colleagues, whatever, we're chatting up about it. And uh, I'm kind of new still. And I tell her, I'm like, hey, like, I'll buy your, your property from you. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. In my head, no idea what I was actually going to do with it. But I'm like, hey, whatever. They keep telling me to take action. So let's go ahead and do it. So um, whatever, I drive down. Um, it's in Windsor, Ontario. So I drive down to Windsor. Only time I've been there. And I go through this property. It's disgusting. There's like two dogs running around. I swear there was like a shirtless baby and like two guys hacking darts on the couch, like clothes and like garbage, not even like food garbage, just like garbage. And I was like, oh, this is gross. So whenever I go through, I go through and I make my stink face and I tell her, oh, I like, you know, it's okay, but it's gross. We negotiate a good price. And I'm like, okay, poof, we're set. But the big issue was there's a tenant. So I tell the tenant, I'm like, hey, listen, I want to take this over. Um, and you're not paying rent. So I'll give you five grand. I'll give you 25 right now. And I'll give you 25 when you leave and you need to fix X, Y, and Z. I think there were five things I needed him to fix. They weren't big fixes, but they were just going to be a headache for me. So I'm like, you take care of that. You'll get your extra 25. So whatever, I'm getting close to closing and I'm like, Hey, like, have you done those stuff? And he's like, no, I haven't done anything. Blah, 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 blah. blah. He's like, Oh, I'm going to like, I still want my money. And he's putting up all this big stink. And I'm like, listen, man, there's no way you're getting your money if you haven't done anything. He's like threatening to call the police. He's threatening to do this, to do this. Um, what did he, he also said? Oh, he threatened to, he's like, oh, I'm going to set the house on fire and then you won't have a house. And I said, I'm like, well, if you set the house on fire, no one will have a house. So I don't think he was thinking that through. Anyway, long story short, like I keep negotiating with him and he gets to the point where he knows he's not getting this and he getting his 2,500 and I tell him that he needs to pay me back, not only the 25, but the extra 2,500 or he's not getting anything. Um, so we kind of went back and forth in that and I walked away with a property at an amazing discount plus an extra 5,000 from the tenant. So instead of cash for keys, it was cash and keys. So that's a strategy I should start to coin. What? Okay. So like you have figured something out that I have not in my, my real estate investing career. So let me break down this story a little bit farther. So essentially you 
said you give him 2,500 bucks now, 2,500 bucks when you close if he did X, Y, and Z. And he didn't do it. And he actually paid you that money back plus some money. Like walk me through, like if you got a guy not paying you rent to actually pay you all this other stuff, like break down how that actually happened. hundred percent. So, okay. So he wasn't paying the other tenant. He wasn't paying the other, like the owner rent. And I told him like, listen, we're doing this vacant possession. Like I'll help you with cash for keys, but I'm not taking this place if this guy's still in there. And I told him, Hey, I'll give you 25 now, 25 later. Um, but I wrote it like, Hey, if you don't give, if you don't get out, like you're not, you, you have to give back the other 25. And I had it on a, a little note from the lawyer. He signed it and I signed him like, Hey, we're good. So we get there and he's not doing anything. I said, Hey, listen, I know you don't have a lot of money. I know this is an inconvenience, but I'm going to make your life literally so bad. Like I, I got people in the corner. Like I know what I'm doing. Um, this is going to be very uncomfortable for you for the next little bit. If I don't close on this property, I still live. But if you got to go to the lawyers to deal with this small claims court issue, it's going to impact you a lot more. So I kind of gave him all this and I said, you're never going to rent another place. No one's going to give you a reference. Life is just going to be a lot more difficult for you or you can walk away nice and easy, leave the house a mess, just pay me my $5,000. And we kept going back and forth and I just kept reiterating that, hey, you won't have to change anything. Just leave me my $5,000 on the table with the keys and we're good to go. So yeah, I had my assistant go in there and he left the 5K in cash and two keys. Only one of them worked, but I'll take it. Wild. Crazy. So many guys out there, stories are that they never got paid, never got paid their rent. They have judgments. They never collect. You go at it probably with a much firmer approach and get not only your money back, but $2,500 in excess, it sounds like. So kudos to you, um, probably for all the landlords out there that have been burned beyond measure. So talk to us a little bit about what were you listening to that was causing you to take action? So obviously you were like, becoming aware of real estate, you were following some people, what was leading you to take action? 100%. So I think, like I said, I think this was like my second property um, to doing this one. And when you say like action, you speaking of this property specifically, or just getting into the game, getting into the game. So I, this is, this is kind of my story into real estate investing. So I go to school, I do exactly what you guys tell me to do. Not you guys personally, but the world. I go to school, I get good marks, I go to university, I get the piece of paper, I get that government job, and I'm like, okay, like I'm set. Like this should be it. And I'm looking around and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm nowhere close to where I want to be. And I'm looking at other people I work with. I'm like, I don't want to be where they are in 20 years and they're griping, they're fighting, they're crying. I'm like, I hate this. So I'm like, there's got to be something here. So what I did, I was, I was still living at home at this time. And there was like in the newspaper, um, there was a little ad for like a condo, a little pre-built condo. And I said, oh, okay, let me look into this. I did a quick Google search. I found out how much it was. I was still working at like the local pool at this time. So I was on like a lifeguard salary. And I just did the math on like my phone calculator. I was like, okay, this is the down payment. This is how much I make a month. Can I make the payments? And I was close, but I'm like, okay, I can do it. I ran downstairs, uh, told my parents, I'm like, hey, we're going to go buy a condo on Saturday. They're like, what? I'm like, guys, don't worry. Just get in the car. We're going to go. So we drove uh, drove out there on Saturday, uh, put the money down, and yeah, we bought a, a condo on Saturday. But this is kind of where it took off. So picked up the condo, and it was like a, a phase one, phase two build, and we bought in uh, phase one. So I'm sitting there. You know, it's a pre-build, so i got to wait for it to, to get developed. And then I see the phase two go up in six months. I see what my unit was bought for. I see what the unit is selling for in uh, the second unit. It's like 150K difference. I'm like, wow, 
I just made 150k in six months and I didn't do anything. Now again, it's not like someone paid me or I have the physical money, but 150k in equity was generated just like that. And yes, the market was helping, so nobody kill me on that. But it was crazy. That kind of sparked my thinking to be like, wow, there's something here in this real estate. If I can use my entrepreneurial skill set to make this work, we might have something here. Very interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like you had the entrepreneur mindset from the very beginning. I mean, first off, you're just like, oh, I see this ad. I'm a lifeguard. Um, I'm just going to buy this house. Um, <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. Like, um, what do you think? Where do you think that came from? Do you think you were born with that? Did you get it from sports or something? Or, or, or where do you get the, the, the mindset to be the entrepreneur that you are? Yeah. So I've been doing this entrepreneur thing like the whole time. Uh, not the whole time, like for, for a long time. I remember some things in high school. I was, uh, I had a lot. So you were only given one locker in high school, but you know, me being me, I negotiated my way into a second locker and I was selling like pop chips, candies out of my locker at lunchtime and stuff. I had a t-shirt business in high school. I had a first aid company. I was washing cars, cutting grass. I always loved the ability to generate your own income. And I just thought it was always pretty cool. You'd always be in there. I was always the business guy. That extended to university, and you can ask all my friends at university. I always had a new idea. Um, one of the funniest stories I had was uh, it's called ATME. So my idea was like, yeah, so I was at university, whatever. You go out to the bars, you're going out. And I always felt like, oh, man, the, the line for the ATM is so long. What if I made a company called ATME? I would have all the cash in my pocket, and we would just walk into bars, and we'd give out cash to people. And my roommates all looked at me. They're like, are you crazy? I think you're going to get robbed. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't see that through. But anyway, that was a really bad idea. But I've always been generating ideas. And I love the, the thought of owning a business, generating your own income and making your own luck. Um, and yeah, I was able to take that, see how strong an asset class real estate was. And yeah, kind of double down on that into a, a, a first position real estate. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, let's, let's go through the journey a little bit more. So you buy this house, you get yep. a bunch of equity. Where do you go next? 100%. So we buy that one and I'm like, hey, we might have something here. So what I do next is look for something a little bit closer to home. Now, the one I bought was like maybe two towns over, still easy to get to and still manageable. But I was like, okay, there's a little bit of equity. What else can I do? And this is when I just started realizing the calculations. And again, I don't, not what I know now, but I'm like, okay, this is what I can get for rent. This is what I can get for the mortgage. This, this is more than that. Boom. So I picked up another one in uh, in Oshawa. It was like a three bedroom too because I was told uh, single family homes are good rentals. You know, you get a good family in there and everything. Uh, and that one was really smooth. Closed on that one nice and easy. Had a family in it like the day that I closed. And that one was just rocking nice and easy. And again, we were in a very big appreciating market. That market went up substantially. It was like, wow, equity is just piling up. Again, not like I'm receiving it in cash, but I'm like, this is something happening here. So I was able to take that now I'm adding a little bit more knowledge. I'm watching a lot of YouTube. I'm deep. I'm deep in the rabbit hole for bigger pockets. I'm picking up different books now, and I'm really starting to get the game. I came across the Burr method, uh, like the Burr method, uh, and then I read the book, The Burr Method by David Green. And I was reading that book while I found this off-market property in Windsor, and I was like literally going through the book day by day as I was doing it in like real time. It was so crazy. I'm like reading chapter three as like the contractor's calling me. I'm like. I don't know what to do next. I, I got, I got to keep reading. So it was, it was really surreal for me. And I, I remember like being on the train, reading the book on my way to work. And then like the next day saying, okay, contractor, you have to do this, this and learning about refinancing and all that. So that was into my Windsor property. 
Um, that market started to get saturated and I moved up to Northern Ontario where I do a lot of my investing now. We've bought a couple units up there as well as wholesaled up there. And now we're building the business um, and team uh, in Timmins, Ontario. Super cool. And so would you say your desire to get in the real estate investing game, was it an increase in income, an increase in net worth, pursuing life freedom? What would you say was the initial thought that was the exciting thought for you about real estate? 100%. For me, it was the freedom aspect. And I'm going to be real. You can make money anytime. Like you, there's a lot of different things you can do to like make money, make income. But what I found in real estate was like the power to like build that generational wealth and give your family and yourself that freedom. Um, every like, you know, wealth is generated, but it's, if you make a lot of income yourself, it's very hard to transfer that to other people. Like you can pay people, you can give people money, but it, it's really hard to, to grow something to impact people. But if you grow a real estate portfolio, you do it in a correct way, you know, you can pass that down to your family. You can, you know, help individuals. There's just so much more you can do um, with a real estate portfolio that's strong and a business built around that. And I said, man, I love this. This is definitely something that I wanted to do for my family as well as people in my circle. I love it, man. Your energy is so contagious and there's so much of it. And I, I view you, I don't know exactly what your age is, but I view you like when I got started, like the level of energy I had in the game was just like infectious. Like what, what are you currently setting as your big vision? Obviously general gener, generational wealth is a big part of it, but how are you setting your goals today? Like what's your thought process as far as goal creation? Yeah. So my goal creation is, is to make sure I bring as many people along this journey as I can. Not like in a way that like, oh, you know, I want to pay people to come with me. I literally want them to be part of it. That's why I'm so big on the joint venture partnership uh, structure. A quick backstory to it. I remember I started this one company. It was called Barbell Family. So I, I played sports at a pretty high level and I, I, I still love fitness to today. So I've created this company called Barbell Family. It was like an online fitness community. And then you would sell apparel. That would be like the revenue stream, whatever. So I was young and there was this investor at my church and he had this big trampoline company. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to bring a proposal to him and maybe, you know, he'll work with me or teach me some stuff. So I get my, my little duotang and I'm ready to go. And he just shuts me down like hard and like nothing, no feedback, no money, nothing. I was like, and I felt defeated. And I was like, I never, ever want anyone to feel like this again. So as much as I learned and as much as I grow, my biggest thing is to bring people along the journey with me, whether that's partnership, whether that's teaching, uh, whether that's working with them. I just want to bring on as many people as I can with me as I get to that, that financial freedom goal. I love that goal. Um, I also love the imperfect action that you're taking. Um, so you've, met, you've referenced this a couple times. Like you're just going after things almost without direction or you're learning as you're going, right? So, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because like one of the guys we did, he's like, I got this property under contract verbally, but then I didn't have a contract. So he had to figure out the contract <laughs> after he got it verbally and he just downloaded something off the internet. And this one, I only know because we're releasing it tomorrow. This one dude, he's like, I went to go buy a house and I had this $10,000 in cash and, and they wouldn't take it. And he's like, and unfortunately, we had to go to like a title company or something. And then after buying like five or six houses, it's like, I realized that I have to do this every time. And it's like, this is nuts. Um, so like, I love the imperfect action because it's obviously, it's something that we see often in entrepreneurship. I'm curious, like, what led you to do that in that way? Because. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, it's just. So 
I always thought like if you if you sit down and you try to get all the information to make a decision, like everything, hundred percent, and you know, hundred percent of the information, like the the opportunity is passed. Someone has already taken it. The opportunity is gone. Being okay with making decisions at 70, 80% of the information and being okay that you can make up the other 20, that's what kind of funneled me towards it. I think I've always been like that, even in sports, right? Like, I, I, again, I'll go back to my sports background. I don't know exactly what the opponent's going to do. I have a good idea, but I know that the skills and the training that I have is going to make up for the, the deficit and I'm going to be able to perform well. So same thing here. I was always like, hey, you know what? 80% of the, the things that I know, this is going to go well. And the other 20%, I'm going to figure out in my head. And if it doesn't go well, I know that I'm a good enough entrepreneur to make it work. I've been in situations where I thought things were going to be this way, or I thought things were going to be X, and they were Y. All I did is really buckle down and say, okay, what do I have at my disposal that I can make this work? Is it better negotiation, making more relationships, or simply just picking up the phone 650 times and making those calls until you can solve that problem? Love this. And I, I love that you bring it to sports because I personally love sports too. Grew up playing soccer and baseball. Would love to know what sports you love. And I, I love watching football. So I think about yeah. like the, the professional um, quarterback. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Sorry, sorry I cut you off. Yeah, I, I think about the professional quarterback position and how they have to make decisions on such limited information. They're scanning the field so quickly. They, they don't know how fast the DBs are going to move. They're doing all these things. And so they've just got to trust their gut. Like, can you explain how the sports world that you were in, how similar it is, what lessons you've learned from sports that are playing over in, in entrepreneurship. 100%. And I think you did a great job using the quarterback example. I would do the same thing. So my two sports were rugby and football. Um, so taking that quarterback example, like just like you said, so a quarterback has to read the defense, make information, uh, sorry, make decisions with limited information to come with a successful outcome. Now the good quarterbacks, the reason they're able to do this is because they've done it so many times. If you put me in the NFL right now, I would not be very good at a quarterback because I don't make those decisions often. But Tom Brady and some of those better quarterbacks, they make these decisions all the time. They practice, they train, and they're in games. So he's made those decisions so many times that his outcome is going to be way better. So the same thing applies. I've never bought a house before, and you're never going to get good if you never buy a house. So you keep hitting the door. You keep taking action. You keep taking, whether as imperfect as it may be, keep taking the action. You're learning from your mistakes. You're learning from other people's mistakes. But the key is keep taking that action eventually stuff's going to hit because deals that I thought were going to be like maybe like a, a base hit or a small bunt turned into like home runs just because I was taking that action. So I really advise people like don't do anything crazy or out of this world, but take that consistent action because you're never going to know the potential or the degree of success you're going to have if you sit on the sidelines the whole time. So let's, let's continue down this road of the sports analogy. So in essence, like, you know, a quarterback is assessing risk and if they make a mistake, they throw an interception, you know, they, they may lose the game. It's probably the worst case scenario in, in decision-making process. For some people, they're new to investing. They think about their fears maybe a little bit differently. Maybe they lose $30,000 or $50,000, which could set them back 10, 20 years. Can you explain yeah. your journey about how your risk analysis is compared to like that? Like, so kind of explain how you were able to quell any fears and, and how you position that in your mind so that you could take action. 100%. So 
uh, I wrote a book. Uh, it's called The Rookie Real Estate Investor, shameless plug. But part of the book that I start with is identifying your financial position. Now, if you're in a financial position where you save 500 bucks a month, you can't start buying multi-million dollar commercial real estate. It just doesn't make sense. Like you're not there. So when I started investing, I was like, okay, let me take care of my finances at, at home. So I, I knew I was good. I, my rent was covered. My food was covered. I had a job that was able to do this. And then I was able to start investing knowing that I had a solid uh, backbone. I think we always hear about this, oh, sexy, no money down investing. I don't need any money. I'm all good. I don't know if I subscribe to that as much because I think having those reserves let you take those small steps forward out. A quick example here is um, when I bought the Oshawa property, I knew I was going to go 5% down uh, to get it done, but I also wanted to make sure I had reserves back there. So I think I could have done it. Like I had enough money in probably January to do it, but I didn't end up doing the deal till like July because I wanted to have just a little more in reserves ready. And there's, um, I listen to bigger pockets a lot. Mindy Jensen makes this thing. Uh, it's always inversely related. If you have $5,000 in your reserve fund, your repairs are going to be $500. But if you only have $500 in your reserves, your first repair is going to be $5,000. So I think if you're able to mitigate some of your risk with the level of reserves you have, it's a lot easier to take those steps. And then as you take more and more steps out, your education, your knowledge gets bigger, and you can mitigate it not only with your reserves, but you can mitigate it with knowledge. Because I started getting better at investing. I could underwrite deals better. I had creative strategies. I had a network behind me, a power team. And then you're like, wow, like I don't even feel it's risky anymore to do this because I have so many fail stops in place after taking all that action. Very interesting. I remember on the pre-call, you said you have a power team too. I would like you to just clarify, what is your power team? Um, yeah. What are the positions that the power team is, is filling? Sure. So starting, I'm for, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but like some of my, uh, my power team members, first thing is going to be my lender. Um, and I, I like to pick with one, like I know in the States, there's the lending's a little bit different. Like you can go to different banks, but in Canada, uh, how, just how I've seen it, one lender who knows the game, who's well-educated in it. And that's better because he has my file. He knows my portfolio. He knows my goals. And we're able to bounce stuff off each other like really easy. Like I can text him quick email and he's able to keep me in line. So first thing is going to be my lender. Next is going to be my lawyer because she keeps me out of jail because I tell her I want to do all this crazy stuff. And she's like, that's all illegal. I said, good to know. Um, so she really helps like solidify things that I'm doing, whether I'm putting in an offer or I'm trying to do something creative because creativity, nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it uh, outside the, the bounds of the law, that's on you as the investor for not taking those steps. So she keeps me in line. Number three is going to be my accountant because it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's all about how much money you keep. And my accountant does a very good job at making sure I keep uh, a lot of the money or at least I'll put myself into positions where I'm paying uh, unnecessarily. And then my last but not least is going to be my boots on the ground team. And that consists of my property managers, my assistants, my contractors, and anyone who's actually putting hands on my property. Because I do this all virtually. So a lot of times, like, we're, I'm calling people, we're working with people long distance to make sure they're doing high quality work on the property to make sure that my tenants and my investment partners are always looked after. Perfect. Um, <laughs> absolutely tremendous. So, I mean, um, as you're doing this virtually... How do you start establishing a team in a different area? Like when you're talking property managers and vendors, repairmen, things of that nature. Let's get into that. 100%. So, sorry. So there's this thing um, they came out with. Uh, it's called a cellular device. Um, and that has been my biggest tool. I, I looked at my call log for the month of September and I made 650 calls 
And that's not a number that I say like to boast, like, oh, I, I make more calls than you. But it's the level of commitment that you're making to keep those relationships strong with your power team. So when I'm coming to a new area, literally start knocking on every door you can. I'm sure if you're investing in an area, there's someone in your network that has some connection to that area. So one of the connections I had to Timmins originally is that one of the girls that I did my training with for my 911 dispatching, she lived in Timmins. I called her. I said, hey, who's a good realtor in Timmins? She gave me three names. I called all three of them, had good conversations with them. From that, I asked all three of those realtors, who do you know are property managers? They each gave me a couple names, called all of them. And as you can see, that just trickles down. And I make it a like it, it, in my weekly goals, I make it an effort just to make 10 calls to people in Timmins, even if it's not directly real estate related. I'm calling coffee shops, I'm calling butchers, I'm calling lawn care companies, it doesn't matter. My idea is to get my name out there in, in, in the industry. And I know it's working because I had someone who was like looking to sell a home and they said, oh, I'm gonna call that Isaiah guy. And he told someone, it's like, oh, you know Isaiah too? And they actually connected over like, oh, this guy calls me out of the blue and he's so friendly on the phone. And they called me, said like they were able to make that relationship. So I know that I'm putting, you know, good vibes, good juju out in the world there because I'm just making calls, just making those relationships with people. And if you're able to add value and service them, they do the same thing to service you on the back end. So let's talk about the entire process of investing. So my belief is that a person could literally get an entire retirement portfolio. So let's say a person needs 10 or 15,000 a month to be able to retire freely. My belief is that someone can actually do that without having any money and doing any work other than building a team that does it for them. Right? So I want you to run this thought experiment with me. And I know you're not a subscriber to zero money down, which is totally fine because there's risks in, involved, but, but apart from the money, if you were willing to appease me, how feasible do you think it is for someone to build an entire portfolio where everything is done for them from the finding of the properties to the stabilizing of the properties to everything? Oh, very feasible. And I think we're, we're very close. I think we are, we're very close uh, to getting that done at first position real estate. So if I were going to go to from property acquisition, so a couple of people that you would want on your team, there is a realtor who's down for you um, and understands your crystal career crystal clear criteria, right? They know exactly what you're looking for. Don't say, Hey, I'm just looking for an investment property. That's like a realtor's worst nightmare. Cause they're like, what do I give you? Like, do you want a turnkey? Do you want a duplex? Like, what do you want? If you can give a realtor like crystal clear, this is exactly what I want. Don't bring me anything. That's not this. Um, that helps them a lot because they're only going to bring you stuff and like they know what you're looking for. I would also probably connect with a wholesaler in that area as well. Cause they're going to bring you off market stuff as well. So between them two, now your deal funnel is full. Now, if you want to get the deals financed, you can just get yourself a mortgage agent or a lender that's going to finance it on the back end. Now, who's going to manage these puppies once you get them under contract? Find yourself a good property manager, or you can be like me and insource your property management by creating a team of professionals that uh, do the task for them. And if you're able to get a property manager, they usually have a lot of connections with vendors like uh, contractors, electricians, plumbers, and they're going to be able to connect you. And all you have to do is set up some nice systems where you are in a nice comfy chair in your office and make sure that you're really facilitating those relationships, keeping those people accountable and sending as many Tim Hortons cards as you can to make sure uh, they remember who you are. This is absolutely tremendous. You know, I think you're the first person to positively say something about a realtor that wasn't a realtor. Um, so 
maybe this is a Canadian thing because most investors in the U.S. don't look fondly upon realtors. I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> um, let's get some more context there because I mean, most people that are like investors in our area that they don't speak fondly of realtors at all. That's true. So I will preface it by saying I do have my real estate license. Um, so I have it, but I put it like on pause. So I'm not actively trading as a real estate uh, agent. Um, it was just comp. It was making my investing more complex, but I do get it. But another thing that I think people like for realtors, a lot of reasons why I think they don't like them is because it's not a two way value exchange. They say, you do this for me. That's it. And that's where the relationship stops. So obviously like it, it doesn't work both ways, but I try and service my realtor in every way possible. Anyone who wants to touch Timmins or touch any way, I'm like, call this girl. She's my girl. Like she'll take care of you. Anything she posts, I repost. She needs help. I help her immediately. Um, if there's any connection that I can make to her, I, I support her business as if it's my own. And she sees that and she supports my business as if it's her own. Even properties that she's not even working on with me, like stuff that I bought off market, she'll be like, oh, Isaiah, do you need me to, to, to swing by? Do you need anything? Or if I need a report pulled or some comps that I want, no problem. Bup, 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 bup. She's sending it to me. If you're not making that two-way relationship with everyone on your team, forget it. it it's, it's not going to work. And if you're only there to service yourself, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get self-service. But if you're there to service everyone in your community, everyone in your network, it's amazing to see how many people are willing to give back, whether it's your assistant, your property manager, your realtor, wholesaler, lender. It's all on the same team. We're all on the same team for this. This is lovely. So, I mean, I'm, we're big fans of the go-giver mindset in general. You know, the more you help other people, the more likely they are to reciprocate that. Um, I'm going to try to put you in a box here. Not necessarily you, but your activities, right? So you say that you're obviously a massive action taker, but you focus a whole lot on relationships. Which one of those two things do you think has given you more value? Oh, go-giver, 100%. Like um, Alex Hormozzi said this great quote, and I've been kind of living it for, for a while. The best, the quickest way to make a million dollars is make 10 people a million dollars. If you can find a way to make 10 other people $1 million, you'll easily make yourself a million dollars, if not more. So I would pour into other people 10 times before looking about doing all the action by myself. So this might be the answer, but I just want to launch into the question too. So you've been a police officer yeah. and you're a real estate agent. I shouldn't say that. You're a real estate investor, but you've had a license. So real estate investors can get salty just like old police officers can. So... I know you're newer to the game, but like, what, what would you say is your thought process on how are you going to still play the game at a high level as you get older in real estate and not become the salty real estate investor? Like some of these police officers are salty. hundred percent. So that's a great question. So a big thing that I, um, that I want to do is I want to service as many individuals, families, and groups on my way to financial independence there, whether that's through real estate, education, mentorship, or coaching. Like I just want to be able to serve other people. One of the big passion projects that I have in our business is our co-op program where we work with the local high school uh, there. And we work with like, well, we usually work with one student per semester. They've been pushing me to do two, but you know, just conservatively, I like to do one, but that keeps me as young as I can. I hope I can do that for, as long as I can, if I never make another dollar in real estate, but I'm able to impact those kids the way that I have for my, my last few, then I'll be fine. It's amazing to see them. Like they come in, they're like, they know like five career paths in grade 11 and 12. That's all they know. And then you come in and you're able to show, Hey, this is what we do. Like, yeah, like we, we don't really work for anyone. We generate our own income. This is how we generate our own business. And it just blows their mind. They're able to see the world from a different lens at a younger age. 
that gives me like the ability to stay young and that kind of gives back to them seeing the world at a wider lens than they usually had. And I think that two relationships, great. They get to do some stuff in the business. I get to leverage their uh, creativity and energy. And it's an amazing way for me to stay motivated and keep going and avoid that salty police officer mentality. <laughs> what a great answer. I actually was going to dive into the co-op question actually right after that. So, I mean, great segue, Isaiah. Thank you for that one. I would love some more details on this. So you're working with one student at a time. How is this student selected? Are they winning some sort of lottery um, are they like a straight A student or are they a bad student? Like, give me some more context here. I would love to learn more about it. For sure. So I kind of came this, I came up with this idea with my dad um, because I really wanted to serve, like serve like uh, high school kids. I was, I did a little bit of coaching, but then like the, the, the athletic department was kind of falling off. I'm like, how can I get back in a way that's impactful to me, but also impactful to them? So we came up on this co-op program. And now again, I like to outsource as much as I can. So I put it on the co-op uh, coordinator. I'm like, hey, bring me a student who meets like these three very easy criteria and I'll work with them. I'll do the rest. So they every year they just bring me a student and say, here you go. I was like, all right, buckle up. And what, what I've done is created like uh, some training modules, some beginner onboarding just to get them like, hey, this is the business. This is kind of what we're going to get into. And then we just go through it. Um, the internet has made this so easy because I, a lot of it is virtual. I don't actually go into the school every day. Maybe once a month I'll go in if we're doing like, you know, something physical or, or, uh, we're recording a video or something, then I'll go in, but a lot of it's, it's virtual. We'll, we'll meet on zoom. Um, or sometimes if I'm busy cause I'm on night shift sometimes, so I'll just record a video and send it to them in the morning and we're able to work there. They get to do a lot of different tasks in the business. Sometimes they're doing social media. Sometimes they're doing lead generation. And sometimes I'm just like, hey, here's how we crunch numbers on a deal. And I see their face like, that's a lot of zeros. I'm like, yeah, but it's okay. It's not our money. It's fine. It's fine. But they just get to see a whole, a whole little uh, bit of what we do in the business. Um, and it's awesome. I'm having a great time. And it also, I think, makes me a better entrepreneur. Because I'm able to, like, how can I get this task into someone's head at a way that's still engaging for them, but I'm still getting top quality results? Because you can't do this whole thing yourself, but if you're not able to, you know, teach and inspire others to, like, you know, jump on the same team as you and, like, you know, swim the same way, it's not going to work. So this has been a, a really great experience for both myself and the students involved. Yeah, I love this. And you, you mentioned Hermosi. I mean, he has a statement where basically, like, professionals make things look easy, and people who truly understand things are able to break it down simply. And so what I would love to know a little bit more about is in these elements where you're teaching students, like what are the things that you've learned? And then what are some of the results that you've seen in those students? 100%. So I, a big part of what I've learned is, again, I'm the founder. I know this business. I know the goals. I know the vision. I created it. But getting people on board, like you can't just tell them to do a task to do a task because they don't get that engagement. They don't get that buy-in. Going back to like a sports analogy, I really don't believe you have to be that good of a coach. I think you have to be a better leader of men and or women. Like I've had coaches who, in my opinion, they couldn't coach for crap, but that coach made me want to run through a brick wall for him. Anything he said, I would do it no problem because I bought into his system. I bought into the values. I bought into the mantra. So I try to bring that same thing um, into my business. So if I'm showing like a, a co-op student, hey, we're doing this social media task, X, Y, and Z. I also show them why we're doing it, what it leads to, and what it kind of plays out to on a whole scale. So they see it, they're like, oh, I get, this isn't just 
taking some words and putting it on a page. We do this to generate leads. We generate leads because it helps grow the business. We grow the business because it helps grow the portfolio and they can see like the whole system. And I see that light bulb go off for them. And I'm like, ah, it's working. It's working. So that's, uh, it's really cool to see. Sure. I would love some more context on this coaching thing that you just said. So, I mean, you said you don't necessarily need a good coach. It sounds like you need a good motivator is kind of what you were leading to and a good leader. But I mean, just a little bit more context would be great. So you're saying like the, the most, say, as a Chicago Bear fan, uh, Mark Tressman was probably a great coach on paper because he knew the X's and O's. But obviously he wasn't able to motivate men because he was a terrible coach and he failed miserably. Um, I would like just your your opinion on, on where you were going with that. Just more clarity. Yeah, 100%. Um, I feel like you, whatever sport you're in, there's like a level at which you know that sport to, to coach at that level. Like you know enough about football, you know enough about rugby or basketball to coach at whatever, NFL, college, you know that. But what makes you an elite level coach, what makes your team successful is that ability for you to rally those men and or women to complete a common goal. Uh, for football, for example, you have linebackers, DBs, defensive linemen, and whole other positions on offense. As a coach, you got to get these all different people, skill sets, different jobs and, and occupations to get together and work to win the game. That's the goal. It's not to like, oh, you know, you're going to be the best running back. Or you're going to be the best uh, wide receiver. You need to get all these people together to win the game. Yes, you need to know the game enough, but it's really, for me, collectively getting those men, motivating them enough so they're really ready to run through a brick wall and pretty much do anything to win the game. I know this from example because I had this one rugby coach. Yeah, he wasn't that good. But anything he said, it just lit a fire for me and the whole team. And we came to games. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm about to run through a brick wall. And we did very well that season just because I think we all bought in. And he was so good at binding us together and motivating us towards a common goal. So let's, tie, let's talk about what it is that makes you want to run through a brick wall. Is, is it the raw passion? Is it the combination of passion and intelligence and a game plan? Is it the tying of your goals and your vision and what you want to see accomplished to the task, what would you say are the, the elements, the factors that go into to causing that you to want to run through a brick wall? Yeah. So one, I think it's respect. And, and for me, that's been a very hard thing. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a great employee just because I have such a, a strong entrepreneurial drive. But the people that I will run through a brick wall for the most are those that I respect the most, whether it's the work they've done, the way they operate, the way they bring people together. If I, if I respect them, it's way easier for me to respect what they do and then respect what they ask me to do. And I feel like if you can again back to that reciprocating thing you show respect you get respect and if you can show that hey like i have the ability to put these people together and you respect and buy into what we're doing that's the kind of trigger for me like i respect who you are i respect what you're doing and as a result i'm down for you whether that's running through a brick wall jumping off that bridge or you know going out there and, and killing a sales call that's how i think they buy into that cool well since we both watch football it sounds like what would you say NFL coaches, current NFL coaches right now, top one, top two, would be the ones that you would want to run through a brick wall for? Nah, for sure. Um, well, I'm not a Patriots fan, but man, I would do some bad stuff for Bill Belichick. Like that, the way he operates his system and like, you know, he's so, so tight on do your job. I, I, I've watched many interviews with him and just really model a lot of the stuff that he's done. He's like, do your job. You are like, I played D line or a little bit of linebacker when I played football, do your job. Your job is to contain, contain the ball. Don't worry about the DBs drop. Don't worry about 
um, you know, if the outside linebacker is going to do his job on the other side, your job is to contain, do your job so well, knowing that if you don't do your job, you're letting 11 other men down and being able to, again, buy into that system. And I feel like that he's just so tactical on like everyone doing their job so well to support that uh, common goal. And that's how it is for a business. Like same thing, org chart, sales guys kill their stuff. Acquisition guys do their stuff. Um, operations people do their stuff. Everyone's doing their job so well. And then at the end of the day, that common goal is a successful business. So I love that you bring up Belichick because I think the traditional perspective and philosophy on Belichick is he's very tough, very consistent, competent, et cetera. But generally, if you think from a personality standpoint, most people wouldn't probably want to socially hang out with Bill Belichick. Yeah. So you could have picked like a Dan Campbell, right? Who's talking about biting people's kneecaps off, that type of thing. So given that your selection is more of like, it seems like more competence-based. Is, is that fair to assume that competence is first and then inspiration is second? Like I know for me, when I started thinking about being a good leader, it led me to be a little bit softer probably than I should have been and not as you know focused on drive and excellence. So can you explain maybe those, those nuances? Why such, why would, again, why Bill Belichick over someone with a little more personality? Sure. So I don't think personality is bad or worse. Like me, I'm a very, like I'm outgoing, I'm bubbly. Like I bring that energy all the time. But I think at the, at the base level, you still need to know what you're doing. Bill Belichick has proven again and again that he is competent at a level to do his job properly. And as a result, a lot of people buy in and respect the things that he does. Taking that back to business, if you can show like, hey, listen, I know what I'm doing. I have experience and I've shown success doing that. That gives uh, people the opportunity to buy in and show respect to you so that you can lead them. Again, like, you know, you could be like, I'm sure you've seen all these raw, raw people who are like, yeah, up in the air. But then when it gets down to it, I'm like, yo, do you have it? Like, is it inside of you? Have you worked hard? Do you have that level of competency that I can actually respect? Or are you all like sunshine and pom-poms? So that's why I like Bill Belichick because he's proven time, time and again that he knows his stuff at such a detailed level that I can respect him that, hey, I'm ready to run through that brick wall for that guy. Again, I'm a Giants fan, so no, like no disrespect, but uh, I do respect Bill and all he's doing over there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Bill Belichick is a Giants fan, that's for sure. Um, I'm, in, <laughs> I'm intrigued by the Bill Belichick choice, actually. I want to dive into it a little bit more. Sure. Because as Matt said, I mean, he is not the most enthusiastic person in the room. And, and it's kind of the inverse of what we were saying, because you said you don't have to be the best coach. But I would argue that Bill Belichick is without a doubt the best coach in the league, because he could coach offense, defense, and special teams at an extremely high level. So... Let's make you choose a second one. Let's say Bill Belichick is not an option. Bill Belichick Let's pick somebody is not else. an option. Hmm. Who would I go with? And I can't go with the Giants coach because uh, that's crazy there. Who would I go with? <laughs> so many good coaches. Maybe I would go with... You know what? i go with Jim Harbaugh. Um... Baltimore, uh, Ravens. One, he's been, like, the tenure there is fine. Um, like, he's been there a long time. But, you know, I, I've been following the Ravens for, for a long time because, again, I was a defensive side of the ball, and, the, you know, that 2000s Ravens defense was crazy. And I followed all those players, Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, like, everyone they had just doing their thing there. And Jim was, was able to do so many different things with so many different individuals because the NFL, it just turns over. You don't get the same team. Like, on a business – we can build out an org chart and have people there for 5, 10, 15 years. NFL, that goal is very quick. You could have 
you know, 53 guys training camp at one year and like 50 different people there the next year. So I still think the bottom line is be able to rally these men together, have them respect you at such a level that they buy into your system, respect you and each other, that they're ready to run through that brick wall, ready to service that business, ready to do whatever it takes to be successful in that endeavor. So yeah, I love, uh, Jim's another great example of a guy who has that competency level, earned respect and ability to coordinate and get all those people to buy in. That'd be John Harbaugh. Wolverines. But um, <laughs> is it Jim or is it John? It's cool. John, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, actually, they're both great choices, though. Yeah, yeah totally. go ahead, Matt. I mean, being a Niners fan, obviously, I had a front row seat for Jim Harbaugh. So I was, I was when you said Jim, I was like, okay, is he talking Michigan a or is he talking fan, about Bears fan, dude? Me too. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, funny. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that was a fantastic answer. I actually, John Harbaugh in particular, because um, he's kind of um, contrarian because he was a special teams coach. Um, so I think that was a fantastic, fantastic answer. So let's get out of the football realm, even though we could talk about it forever. Um, you mentioned you're passionate about helping government employees find a life of freedom. So let's get into where that passion comes from and how you are utilizing it in your life. 100%. So um, I guess my four-second power pitch, as they say, is I help government employees invest in real estate so they can build wealth and retire early. And I truly mean that more than just the words on a page or on the banner behind me. Now, the reason I, I, I believe in this so strongly is because I've been a government employee my whole life. My first job was at the community pool. Um, so for like a municipal pool. So I've done that. I went to work for Metrolinx, which is like a government-funded organization. That was a municipal police officer, and now I'm a provincial worker as a 911 dispatcher. So I get that government lifestyle. I get the advantages, I get the disadvantages, and I get the mindset of a government employee. When I'm sitting there, like they talk about overtime, they talk about their pension, they talk about, oh, you know, the union's doing this, or management doesn't like us. So I can, I just can put myself in that situation, and I know that I was able to find a way to leverage that and move towards a common goal, and I just want to share that with them. As a government employee, we have a lot of advantages. We have a really steady pay, the banks love us, and we have that ability to kind of control um, our work situation because, you know, the union and everything gives us some sort of uh, stability. So just knowing that, I'm like, hey, I'd love to take what you have, which is already your strengths in, in your employment, and leverage that into a way to get into real estate so you can build wealth and retire early. Because the most common thing you hear about government employees are like, oh, you know, 15 more years until my pension kicks in. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have to be 15. We do this in five. Like, I, I like. I don't want you to be 75 and saying, okay, let's go to the cottage and enjoy it with my kids now. Like, let's do this now when you still have the ability and, and everyone's where you want it to be. So I'm super passionate about getting them involved, whether it's through private lending, joint venture, or just even just educating them uh, about being able to invest in real estate. Wonderful. I love your passion for it. I mean, it's very clear. It's coming right through the screen. Um, so I'm going to ask you another question. So you got a lot going on, man. So you're a dispatcher right now. You're, you have all these units that somebody else is managing, of course, which is very smart of you. Good job. Um, <laughs> you're wholesaling. You're doing joint ventures. You're doing private lending. How are you able to do all this simultaneously is question number one. And question number two is something I want you to think about. So think about it when you're answering. Do you think you would do better if you went all in on one of them? For sure. Um, so one of the reasons that I'm able to kind of do all these things, and it's funny you say that some days I'm like, Oh, I didn't do anything today. I should be more productive. And then I actually look, I'm like, ah, we did a little bit, 
but it's it's really systems. It, it really comes down to tight, tight systems. And any problem that arises or you foresee, there's got to be a system for it. Even things as simple as like, okay, there's a maintenance call. What are we doing with that maintenance call? Because if we're scrambling every time someone says the toilet's leaking, that's going to just mess up the whole business. Like, um, and, and then I, on that same note, like being able to add more people to help. And I didn't take that early. I was like, no, I can do this by myself. I was like that Dave, uh, not David Goggins, but kind of him. Like, you know, nobody can hurt me. This is all me. I do it all myself. And then I read who, not how. And I was like, oh, that's how they're doing it. Gotcha. So I was able to bring people on. So a combination of systems and bringing uh, qualified people on to help have really been the reason that I'm able to do so much. Because a lot of people like something very simple example, like my social media has really taken off in the last little bit. And people are like, wow, you're doing so much. And I'm like, I do very little of that. My job is to create a system that I can kind of make that turn the way it's supposed to. Um, and it just, you know, it's working just because that system's in place uh, from the recording to editing to delivery. And that makes things a lot smoother. And I try and take that into a lot of aspects of the business. Totally. Who not how is something we quote often as it's just a great framework. And, and you can read the book and get a lot of insight. Just the title alone, like what a great title captures the essence of the book. So diving into that a little bit you have obviously to, to accomplish what you've accomplished, have had a who focus first. What would you say are the things that people should learn how to do or should they learn how to do anything other than just find the right people? You know what? I, I, I don't think you, I want you to just go out and hire right away. Um, and, and the reason for that is you don't know what you don't know. Like if you just say, you know, Hey, um, and, and I, I will be the first person to say that I have made mistakes in this exact same thing, you know, get out there, property, property manager, they'll do it all. All I have to do is hire them, pay them their percentage and walk away. That's not the case. If you've never managed a property before, you don't understand what a good property manager property manager is and what a poor one is. Sometimes you don't even know the tasks of a property manager. You'll see like they give you, oh, property manager, we provide all these services. And you're like, whoa, I'm getting so much service. And then as it goes, you're like, wait, they're not really doing anything for this property to help it be successful. So I, I always tell people, as you start small or as you start wherever you do, like, you know, take on what you can at that time. And once you're able to become excellent at it or understand that position, hire yourself out of it. So whether that's, you know, hiring yourself out of property management, hiring yourself out of social media, hiring yourself out of uh, deal acquisition. Once you understand it and know what's going to go there, you can hire yourself out and then be able to put someone in there to operate it the way that you want it to be done. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think you have the right mindset. And the fact that you're going through it so quickly is actually extremely impressive. So why don't we get into this? Like, what is your vision for the next 12 months? Next. What, are you, what are you going to be working on? What are you building now? Yeah, for sure. So uh, at this point, you know, I'm getting to the to the intermediate investor problem. You know, you're getting tapped out on mortgages, um, which it, it just comes with the territory. But just knowing what I know now, like that doesn't even scare me in the slightest because there's so many creative options. Uh, that, my plan for my business going forward this year is to acquire 10 joint venture partners on a minimum of 10 properties to help sh share that generational wealth with everyone. I don't want to be doing this alone. I don't want to be that guy who, who made it. He's wealthy and he's on the beach by himself. That's no fun. I would rather be much less wealthy, but have 10 high quality individuals with me and say, Hey guys, look at what we've done. Look at what, what we've created together. So yes, the goal is 10 properties with a minimum of 10 joint venture partners to really accelerate the portfolio as well as the wealth creation for everyone involved. All right. Absolutely fantastic. And here's the curveball for you. If you had a billion dollars and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow coming in, 
what would you do with your life to find fulfillment? That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, and so whatever I do, am I good at it? Or is it just, am I not good at it? Well, you got all the money in the world, bro. So if you're not good at it, you could find ways to get good at it. I you hope. hire coaches. You could hire the Harbaugh's, yeah. whatever you I, need. Hire both of them. Yeah, you could hire both yeah, of yeah. the Harbaugh's. Um, <laughs> if I could do it, I think I'd like to be like a traveling musician. I've always thought that was like an excellent career. I, I played a little bit of drums um, back in the day and, you know, I'll keep it quiet, but I did have a rap album. I uh, made a CD when I was uh, a little bit younger. You will never find it. I promise that thing is under tight lock and key. Um, but I, I'm not gonna lie. I loved it. I, I don't think I was very good, but I had a great time doing it. I love being on stage. Um, you know, I was, I did some acting when I was younger too. So like, I just love being on stage. I'm like, man, if I was like a good musician or in a band, that would have been sick. Like, you know, just being able to travel, do whatever, sing, entertain, perform. I would love that. That is so awesome because I heard, I got the opportunity to hear a really successful NFL player speak on stage. And he talked about how not, uh, physically built he was for football. He shouldn't have been a football player, but his drive and his ambition over a long period of time was what allowed him to play in the NFL and play at a high level. And then after that, he decided he wanted to be in, I think, Broadway and, and acting and so on and so forth. And again, didn't have a natural skill for it, but his mentality was, hey, money's not an issue anymore and I've got all the time in the world. And so he sought out the right mentors and sure enough, it's where he's at today. That's so, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, with, with how fast you're going through the, the investment process, gosh, man, if music's in your future, like, well, watch out. Like, w would we see you on the stage rapping or just drumming or what, what would we be seeing in the future? I would, if, if it was up to me now, I would probably uh, just be a drummer, like a nice, a nice tight band, um, you know, just a, we're all, just a good group, just traveling, just doing our stuff, you know, on the road. But like, we don't stay in like a tour bus in my dream. Like we stay in like really nice hotels all the time. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, I'd love it. Just mixing it up. You know, maybe, maybe every now and again, I come from behind the kit, get on the mic, do a little something, but uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Love it, man. Isaiah, thank you so much for bringing such energy. You make me want to run through a brick wall, even though it's late on a Friday. So thank you for, for bringing that energy with us. And guys, if you're out there listening, take note of some of the things that he's doing, right? I mean, the fact that he's been able to build this many businesses this fast comes from a mindset of getting others involved, not just in a mentoring way, but in a helping him build sort of way. So take some action and write down something that appealed to you from this episode. Because guys, freedom is only one step away. So take action, do it within seven days. And soon enough, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.